0: Today, with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1 with All Care Pharmacy, discover a healthcare team that's always here for you at All Care Pharmacy, Ireland's largest community pharmacy network. Good morning and welcome to the programme. Today, hundreds of euro for a room for two people in Dublin on St Patrick's Night. Has price gouging gone too far? Coping with the fallout from war in Europe, we'll hear how Germany, Poland and Denmark have been impacted by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. With all the recent controversy about the Roald Dahl books, we'll hear why one children's book expert says language really does matter. How bad is air pollution in your area and how might it be impacting your health? We'll find out. Rising inflation fuelled by energy costs, the threat of violence in Northern Ireland and a new coalition facing it all. Dermot Ferriter takes us back to 1973. Text us this morning 51551, email todaycb at rte.ie or on Twitter we are at todaywithclare. A new chapter for the North. DUP plays Brexit waiting game as new deal is signed, crunch time for unionism and make or break. Just some of today's newspaper headlines following yesterday's announcement of this new Windsor framework to break the impasse over the Northern Ireland protocol. They think it's protocol over, it is now, says The Sun, but whether it is really over will depend on how the DUP responds to this new legal text over the coming days. In a moment we'll have analysis from Deirdre Heenan of the University of Ulster, but first I'm joined by the Minister of State for European Affairs, Peter Burke. Good morning to you. Good morning, Claire. From this government's perspective, do you believe that this is the breakthrough moment that will end the controversy around the protocol in the north and that it will also allow the return of the Stormont executive?
1: I do believe so because I think in the first instance it does give stability and predictability for both businesses in Northern Ireland and the citizens of the north. And we saw last night a number of the Chambers of Commerce come out quite strongly and really welcome it from a business perspective. And also you can see from consumers, there are so many easier processes now for goods that come in through uh, Northern Ireland from Great Britain for end use or consumption in that jurisdiction. So mm-hmm. it provides a much easier process. And I do think it's a fair and more level playing field for those in Northern Ireland and should hopefully go down well politically
0: now, we know that everyone seems to have their own lawyers poring over the document the dup the erg in westminster i'm sure the irish government too is assessing the price precise detail as we speak but there are a lot of questions over the issue of the storm and break and how it will work do you believe it hands a veto to unionist representatives over eu laws that apply in northern ireland
1: I don't, because in the first instance, clear, there's a number of provisions that you have to go through with the storm and break, as is in the original memo to the text. So this uh, clause is to be used as a last resort, essentially. And what it will do and what, what the effect it will have is it will trigger a joint meeting uh, of uh, the protocol team between the UK and uh, the EU trying to get a resolution and also provide a mechanism to set up arbitration where an agreement cannot be reached. Mm So I would hope that it's a very last resort uh, issue. But the critical thing is, and this is a point that's been missed, the Stormont executive has to be up and running, has to be agreed and formed for this provision to be triggered in the first place. So that in itself is an incentive to get uh, the Assembly back and going again.
0: Okay, but Geoffrey Donaldson this morning suggested, or said that it's his understanding, that it'll only need 30 signatures in a petition in order to trigger the Stormont break in the first place. He said it doesn't need cross-party support. It's not the petition of concern. They are two different concepts, although they operate in similar ways. So he said that... If the two unionist parties, for example, secure 30 signatures, if there was a cross-community vote, of course unionists would raise their concern and that would trigger the mechanism anyway. But does that suggest that all it would take is an objections from 30 members, from two unionist parties, in order to start the process?
1: That potentially could be the case, but obviously that has to come follow through in the legal text to the agreements. So obviously legislation has to come in to underpin what is said in the uh, joint text. But surely we'll if that's the case, that's going,
0: that's going to trigger objections from Sinn Féin and from the SDLP.
1: Well, I think in the first sentence we have to look and be careful here, uh, Claire. In the first sentence, which is very clear, this is a last resort clause and it's not necessarily going to block the particular piece of uh, legislation. It goes into a very formal process which gives uh, adjudication and arbitration and allows both the EU and the UK to sit Jointly to try and get joint solutions. And that's what we're about here trying to get joint solutions rather than getting bogged down in, uh, you know the legal text of an issue that's almost going to be blocked immediately. But
0: it gives the the unionist parties the opportunity to bog down any EU law that they object to. It gives them a veto.
1: Well, I don't know that for certain because I haven't seen the legal text. So obviously the legal text would have to come out and that would have to go into legislation. So I haven't seen the detail. All I've seen is the memo, which clearly states uh, 30 members, but it doesn't go any further in terms of whether it is in line with the petition of concern. So we have to see that as of yet.
0: So that needs to be clarified then, doesn't it?
1: Well, absolutely. We've heard Minister Covey on this morning in morning Ireland and both Jeffrey uh, Dollinson in relation to it. But the critical thing is I don't want to really get submerged in the detail of an issue that we can get a joint solution to. And that's what we've seen here through the whole protocol mechanism, through the agreements we've gotten data sharing over the last number of weeks. These are joint solutions. And the premise of this storm on break is to put us into another process that will formally uh, uh, start up a process where you will have arbitration with both the EU and the UK and a fair and level playing field to get a joint solution on behalf of both parties. And that's the fundamental okay. core of the EU and hopefully the UK as well. This new
0: deal claims to have stripped out more than a thousand pages of EU laws that do apply uh, in Northern Ireland. Has the EU compromised far more here than the UK?
1: No, I don't think so, because there's a number of safeguards in place. What really happened here and what led to this point in terms of the operational aspects of the protocol is the agreement on data sharing four weeks ago. And what that allowed the EU27 to do on behalf of the single market is to drill down and measure the risk. In other words, they could see the profile of goods that was coming into Northern Ireland, they could risk assess that and obviously provide safeguards. And the more safeguards you have in place, the more flexibility you get in relation to the application of the protocol. And that's the result what you're seeing here. Mm -hmm.
0: This green lane, so reducing paperwork according to the agreement that businesses need to access the green lane for goods that are coming in just to Northern Ireland. Do you have any concerns that a loosening of those rules could open the door to goods moving from the UK into the single market here in the Republic of Ireland, goods that don't meet our standards?
1: No, I don't, because there's very clear mechanisms for those goods. Obviously, there will be um, SBS uh, inspections in terms of goods that are going onward into the Republic of Ireland. And also, the inspection regime is really underpinned on trusted traders to ensure that you have uh, well-established traders and they are adhering to the rules of the EU for those goods a certain
0: There is a certain element of trust, and we become guardians here, don't we, of the single market. Absolutely, but
1: we can see, the EU can see what is coming in. So this is the point that's being misclared. The EU can see on a live basis the whole profile of goods that's coming in to Northern Ireland from Great Britain. And again, that gives the EU the opportunity to measure that risk. They know the type of goods, they know their profile, and that reduces the risk markedly. And that's why the EU27 are at ease with this uh, agreement because they have put in the safeguards to allow them to measure that risk and obviously that gives a bit more flexibility that gave the deal to where we are today. Sam
0: McBride's analysis in the Belfast Telegraph says that very point, you know, the fact that the EU can still see what is going to happen is instead of there being 80 data fields for each consignment of goods, there'll now be 21 under the Green Lane. And he says that still represents a customs border in the Irish Sea.
1: I don't believe so because the checks are very minimal. The fact you can see the profile of goods really allows you to mitigate in terms of the risk and therefore the checks respond to that. So it will be lower potentially than 5%. And that will allow in terms of the green lane. So for goods that are of end consumption or are end use, shall I say, in Northern Ireland, it allows a freer process for them to trade. And also then on other goods that are going onward, there's a series of labelling systems and obviously in relation to plants, seeds, trees, uh, all those have to adhere to uh, mm. EU rules because some of those uh, agri-food issues create the greater risk as opposed to chilled foods or sausages that were posing a huge issue in terms of goods that are available on the shelves in Great Britain not being available in Northern Ireland. That's lower risk and that has been resolved.
0: Okay, Geoffrey Donaldson this morning, not giving a clear answer. He said he needs time to formulate a party response, but he did make positive signals saying this was significant progress. On the other hand, Ian Paisley Jr., also a member of the DUP, saying it doesn't cut the mustard, the storm and brake is useless, it's in the boot of the car, under the spare tyre and impossible to reach. Now, clearly he, Ian Paisley Jr., more negotiations with the EU and they've proven that if you hold out you get more so what do you expect them to do?
1: I don't see that happening because in the first instance it wasn't holding out the UK did to be fair and to gather trust within the EU did allow full live access to their IT system and that obviously made a significant change in terms of the discourse and obviously the goodwill and the trust that has uh, come to between uh, uh, von der Leyen and also um, the UK Prime Minister is very significant in this uh, process as well. But no, I don't see uh, essentially it's going any further. We have a situation now where we have a very fair, robust, equitable deal on the table. And I do believe that we can uh, get agreement on it. I so, would hope So, so your message to the DUP
0: parties. is, this is it, you're not getting any more.
1: Yeah, my message would be they're absolutely within their rights to take their time to go through the legal text of the deal, as well as you quite rightly raise issues there in terms of seeing exactly what is going to be put into primary legislation. And then, obviously, they have to make their decision. But we're very clear in terms of we've come a long way as be- on behalf of the EU. And obviously, it was Maro Seskovic's call as vice president and the lead negotiator on the EU side to say that this is where we are for the EU as Uh, a deal that represents a fair and balanced approach and from me going around the EU over the last uh, number of weeks I do know uh, the premium that has put across member states on the single market the protection they have for the single market and I do believe that this is as far as we will go
0: All right, Uh, thank you very much Minister for European Affairs Peter Burke Deirdre Heenan listening to all of that Professor of Social Policy at the University of Ulster and I know Professor Heenan you were listening to Geoffrey Donaldson this morning measured but not necessarily negative about the deal how long do you you think the DUP will take to make their position clear on this Windsor framework?
2: Well, I think it's only right that we give them some time and space to study what is a very complex, complicated agreement with millions of words. I suppose the big question for us in Northern Ireland is, is Brexit finally done? We have been here before and we've had seven years of chaos. And in fact, we might say, in a maybe flippant way, the fact that the deal has lasted the night Looks like success for us. It hasn't been rejected outright. Um, it is right that time is taken to look at it. The last time we had the protocol, the DUP seemed to think it was a good deal for Northern Ireland and have been ridiculed since when they now say, well, of course, it wasn't what they thought it was and they trusted Boris Johnson. So they're going to be very cautious. On the other side of that, you have to say, well, how long does it take? How much time is base is really reasonable. And what we don't want are long, tedious months of clarification could it be in March ahead of St Patrick's Day? Highly unlikely, I would have thought. Could it be in April before the 21st anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement? Again, I think unlikely. Will it be after May? In May, after the council elections, probably. But that feels like we're really stringing this out, and it could be June then before we actually know whether or not the DUP are going to sign up to this. That Interestingly, to- though,
0: that just seems unreasonable, does it not? To have does to wait that seem long. Not-
2: It does, but we've history of this in Northern Ireland of, you know, going away, deciding, going in front of the cameras, going away again. And Sir Geoffrey Donaldson's going to have to take this to his party. He's going to have to take this to businesses. He's going to have to really feel the temperature and decide what he's going to do. Now, as you've already said... Two of his MPs have come out and been very negative. But we shouldn't be surprised by that. We shouldn't at all be surprised by Ian Paisley Jr. He's a man who's never been troubled by self-doubt and he is going to be out there to to grab the headlines. And he actually went on to say he hadn't actually read the deal. So I think he's probably best ignored at this time because Mm -hmm. simply what he's doing is seeking attention. But
0: is that what Jeffrey Donaldson might do in the heel of the hunt? Ignore Sammy Wilson and ignore Ian Paisley Jr.?
2: well i think he's, he's the dup are not one group that speak with one voice there will be different views different opinions within that group what he has got to do is decide look what's on offer say, does it meet his seven tests? And they are very broad. And with the best will in the world, if you wanted this deal to meet the seven tests, it seems likely that they would. And then he's got to decide, well, if we don't take this, what are are the alternatives for them? Because the idea of going back and getting more, to my mind, is frankly ludicrous. Mm -hmm. I think the brilliance of this deal is that the DUP have to reconstitute the Assembly in order to trigger the break. Um, so it's a real carrot uh, something to entice them back into the devolved structures
0: You mentioned there seven years of talking about Brexit and wrangling over the protocol I just want to play this uh, really fascinating clip from the Northern Ireland Minister Steve Baker who did a fairly emotional interview with BBC Newsnight (laughs) last night and talked about the toll that Brexit negotiations took on him personally Seven years of this cost me my mental health the beard, the jewellery is about me, my recovery in November twenty-one. I had a major mental health crisis, anxiety and depression, I couldn't go on. People couldn't tell, I made a big keynote speech in the afternoon. But make no mistake, holding these tigers by the tail, Brexit, COVID recovery group, net zero scrutiny group, the tax stuff we did with Conservative Way Forward, took its toll, we're all only human. And the way I've led rebellions, no one should have to do. And this is an important moment for me personally, because I can authentically say, he's done it what did you think when you heard that?
2: Well, it's extraordinary, isn't it? I suppose when I listen to Steve Baker now, I think, will the real Steve Baker please stand up? Because he flip-flops all over the place. Remember, this was the self-styled hard man of Brexit. This is a man that pushed and threatened to get the hard Brexit. And we shouldn't forget that because a lot of this turmoil has been because we rejected the softer options. Although the human side of you, on the other hand, feels that when someone's talking about their mental health, having a mental health breakdown, you can't but feel some empathy for them. Then I juxtapose that with the freedoms that have been taken away from people in Northern Ireland, the freedom to work and to travel across EU countries. And I think, well, this could have been all avoided. And perhaps the biggest irony in this is Rishi Sunak on radio this morning saying, this is an amazing deal for Northern Ireland with amazing opportunities because we have access to the single market. And you think, well, if it's so amazing for us, why on earth are the rest of GB being denied it? Why did we leave it in the first place? (laughs) Yeah, that's a a pretty interesting
0: (laughs) Uh, point. And it's interesting as well that Steve Baker is taking this position now because it says a lot about where the ERG might go in terms of their power because undoubtedly there will be some people in the ERG who don't agree with this deal but their power may be reduced if people like Steve Baker are backing it.
2: Well I think their power is reduced you know at a time an ERG meeting would expect you to have 100 MPs now I think they do well to get 25 and why Because they cannot talk about their delusional Brexit anymore. People only have to look around them to see that the UK has the lowest growth of any GDP country in the top seven. Um, Because really, they can't avoid the catastrophe that Brexit has been for them. And all of the promises have been broken. And we have Teresa Kofi coming out and saying, let them eat turnips. I think people are utterly disillusioned, fed up and are now beginning to see the reality and it cannot be denied. So the ERG's promises have gone up in smoke and also some of them are looking towards their own seats and their own future. Steve Baker actually said in that interview last night that this had caused him personally yes. 2,000 votes well it's cost us an awful lot more Deirdre, so I thank you. think actually sorry, the GRG are diminished sorry yeah.
0: thank you very much uh, Deirdre Heenan for joining us that's Professor Deirdre Heenan from the University of Ulster and she mentioned the GDP of a country well it might cost you the GDP of a small country to stay in Dublin over St Patrick's holiday we'll be hearing all about that after this text 51551 today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1